0: You're listening to audio from Century Baptist Church. To connect with us, visit centurybaptist.org or download the Century Baptist Church app. Authentically loving children is something that has just been ingrained in the Nather family. Uh, My grandpa was uh, the best of the best. Uh, Nobody laughed harder and loved to sit with his grandkids and watch the Muppet Show Uh, like my grandpa, the games that we would play together. Uh, When I was younger, uh, I kid you not, the neighbor kids, my friends would come to the house to ask if my dad could come out and play uh, because he just made it so great. If you don't believe me, drive down 4th Street this afternoon when the grandkids are at his house having lunch and you would think that they run a daycare. He actually let me know this week. He's like, hey, I, I bought a field goal post this week so the grandkids can kick field goals right that's just he loves kids and to be able to see it now in the life of my of my daughter and the way that she loves kids my son and the way that that he loves kids It's what we're called to do. It's what we're going to take a look at today. I'm so excited to talk about this. There's going to be moments where I'm going to get really excited and so happy about things. And then because I love kids, there's moments I'm just warning. I'm going to get passionate and it's going to sound like I'm yelling at you. And I might make eye contact with you at the wrong time. And it's not because I'm mad at you. It's just because I'm mad at the world. But today we get to talk about loving kids and loving Jesus. When your children do great things, right, parents, you'll agree with me. When your children do great things, uh, you, you love to applaud them, but there's a part of you that, man, the pride starts to, to rise up just for your own stuff. They're, hey, they're making me look good. When our kids do dumb things, right? There's just these moments. We make mistakes and we fall. Parents, you know, the pride rises up because we know that it's their mistake, but man, they're making me look bad. What are people going to think about me? Today, as we, as we talk about how Jesus viewed children and then what he says about our own attitudes and our own souls, it's really going to center around pride. That's really the, the overarching theme of this, that, that Jesus says if anybody wants to, to enter the kingdom of heaven, we can also understand as anyone wants to enjoy the kingdom of heaven, you have to approach it like a child, which means you don't think big of yourself that you deserve anything that you're humble like a child that's where the beginning of a relationship with Jesus begins of saying I cannot do this life on my own I know that I need a father I know that I need a savior I know that I need a rescue I know that I need a provider I cannot do this life on my own that's where it begins admitting that pride is excessive self-esteem it's elevating yourself into thinking that you're too good for others or God for that matter. Proverbs eleven two says, whenever pride shows up, it's always followed by destruction or disgrace. With humility, though, it's always followed up with wisdom. Be humble. Understand this, that as we've been looking at the, the life of Jesus through the eyes of Matthew, uh, the words that the Holy Spirit has given him to write down, we're, we're in this section, chapters 18 and 19, it's been all about relationships. We've talked about a lot of them. We've, we've talked about, first of all, our relationship with God, as the disciples are trying to figure out like who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And, and then it was about relationships with friends, and it was a relationship with enemies, and then relationship with our spouses, relationship with people who, who are lost and they don't know what they need. And and then now we we get to the the conclusion really on this conversation about relationships and and Jesus ends with with children. Here's what he says, Matthew 19 verses 13 to 15. Just a few verses, but there's a lot in it. Uh, if you are willing, would you just stand as I read this? Then. Important word, we'll get to it. Then children were brought to Jesus that he would lay hands on them and he would pray. But the disciples rebuked the people. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me, do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus then laid his hands on them and then he went away. Father, as we uh, walk through your word, uh, I pray that you would allow this place to just be Um, um, filled with uh, our attentiveness to to your leading, what it is that you're saying. I pray, God, that you would lead and guide me. Let me speak out of truth uh, and from a heart that is filled with Christ and empowered by your Holy Spirit. May no selfish words come out of my mouth, Father. Um, And so we ask this time would be just a fragrant offering to you. Amen. You could have a seat. A couple of things just to point out. Um, uh, I've entitled today's message, Our Royal Issue. And that's because uh, in, in, uh, when it comes to the royal family, uh, when it comes to legalese, I guess, if you will, children are referred to, your dependents are referred to as, as an issue. Right? No pun intended. Some of you may be feeling that a little bit today. Like, yeah, because there's a struggle there. I hope that today's message speaks to you. But our royal issue is really pride. It's one of, the, one of the most difficult parts about parenting, is not the way in which our children act, but it's what happens inside of our hearts uh, in the things that we do and in their accomplishments and ours. Jesus was surrounded by a crowd. He's working his way uh, to Jerusalem. He's left Galilee. He was, this was getting toward the end of his uh, life here on this earth. He's been teaching about relationships, and and in it, we learn a lot. Jesus is surrounded by a crowd, and every time that he's surrounded by a crowd, he just takes the time. Whoever's sick, come to me, and I I will heal you. I imagine it was taking quite a, a large amount of time, sucking up a lot of his day. We have places to go, the disciples are probably thinking. We got things to do, and Jesus stops and teaches, and he just keeps caring for people, and then Really, Matthew uses that word then. In other words, what Matthew is saying is when all was said and done, when all the teaching had been done, when all the sick adults had been taken care of, then people brought their children to Jesus that he would lay hands on them. They were coming to receive a blessing. Jesus was a religious leader. It was very common in the times to go to someone who was a religious leader and, and get uh, hands put on your children. and It was a blessing for someday, God may you protect them and watch over these children. Why? So that someday they will grow and they will do great things and that they would prosper. The culture of the day, we talk about it often, it's really important to understand it, to understand scripture. But in, in this in the Greco-Roman world, in the Greek culture, uh, as the Romans were overtaking this nation of Israel, their culture was infiltrating. It's really disturbing. I won't get into all of the details because I want to talk about kids and I want to talk to kids today. Uh, but but there was, it was really one of these things that children really were uh, only valuable to you for what they brought to the table. And so when a child was born in, in ancient Roman culture, oftentimes they were swaddled upon birth in these swaddling clothes, and they were not welcome into the house unless they could survive for five days. If they survived, if they made it, sure, moms could go out and make sure that they were fed. But but they weren't accepted to be a part of the family until they proved their value of five days old. It, it was actually uh, they they parents didn't they didn't take. Uh, specific intervals of time to even go out in those five days and change the swaddling clothes. It was just, if infection sets in and it takes their life, well then they weren't worth being a part of our family in the first place. It was there's, it, The stories get even worse about how the fathers decided if a child was valuable or not. Can you imagine growing up in a home like that? And if you did survive the five days and, and were a part of the family, then it was, now you have to prove your worth. I can't imagine growing up in a home where as a child you have to prove your worth or your value, but I will tell you it happens all the time. Now we know that in ancient Jewish culture the people that followed God saw children for what they were, that they were a gift from the Lord. Uh, They cared for their kids. They saw them as a blessing. but, But in both cultures... It was just understood that children needed to just be seen and not heard. Children, and the amount of them, elevated the prestige of the father, of the parent. They had no rights. They had no status until they proved themselves, became adults. What I love about this text is that Jesus says, I see you now. You have value now. You are worth my time uh, and and my blessings and my prayers and me holding you and caring. And I just want to say to every child, every kid, every student in this room, in the eyes of God, you have just as much value as the person that is sitting next to you today. He loves you. Jesus died for you As much as he died for any adult that is out there, don't let anybody ever make you think differently. You have as much value in the kingdom of heaven. You have as much potential to serve God and to love God and to ask him for the same prayers to change the world as your parents are praying. And he listens to you just as much as he does adults. God believes in you. He created you. You are made in his image to reflect him to the world and I don't think anybody does it any better than kids. We'll get to that in a little bit. If someone, if someone is preaching a sermon 2,000 years from now, and they're talking about ancient culture and the way that they treated children in 2023, what do you think they would say? Our views of kids. Some people would say, wow, they, I mean, some people, it seems like they worship their kids. And, and, and others might say, wow, it seems as though some, some didn't treat their children very well at all. Some may say we cared a lot. Some might say we didn't care enough. In 2,000 years, when they look back in the you know, ancient history and scroll through this thing, there used to be a thing called Facebook, and they look through, what are they going to read about what you wrote about being a parent? Are they just going to read over and over again how miserable it is and and how frustrating your children are? Because it's there forever. And it's also there forever in your kids' hearts because they know what you're saying because they feel it. Are you speaking truth to your children? Do you love kids? Do you truly love your children? And Look, you might say, absolutely. What if I asked your children, do you know that you are loved by your parents? And how do you know? What is it that they would say? Spend any amount of time at a middle school, high school, even nowadays grade school, athletic competition. And and you will find out how parents view their children. Many people, their pride, their, their ego rises and falls on what their child does out on that field. And, and if you want to know who that parent is, just listen, you'll hear them, right? Because they're screaming at their kids, they're screaming at the coaches, they're screaming at other people's children who just decided, I think I want to be in a sport so I can hang out with my friends, learn a little bit. Yeah, it'd be great to win some stuff and I love this sport and I want to be a part of it, but the problem, the biggest problem that I have is that guy's dad. And you know, you want to know why I can say that? Because I heard it. One of the most horrible feelings I've ever had was being put on a basketball court, on a court that I didn't enjoy that much, and hearing my friend's dad say, why is he going on the court? We, kids hear you. So on behalf of myself as a teenager, and on behalf of all the other kids that are out on the court, just let them have fun and just shut your mouth. Celebrate them. Don't tear them down. Their identi- if you're a believer, their identity is not on whether or not they can carry a ball or dribble a ball or whatever. Their identity is found in Christ, and you get the opportunity to tell them that. But they can't believe a person who's screaming at them that they're, that they're terrible. They come home from a game, and all you do is talk about how horrible they are. I never once, once uh, tore my kids down, I can tell you, uh, for, for how they performed on a football field. But we had some talks about how they reacted to whether they went win or won or lost. That was a reflection on, on me. That was a reflection on my discipleship, how we treat other people. I had, I had no say in football. I had no clue how to play football, you know, how my, my son would stand his stance and snap the ball, whatever it was. Like That's all on the coaches. If he did it well or if he didn't, it, it's just because he's having a bad day or not a bad day right? We got to let it go. Our job is to love children, support them, believe in them, to speak into their lives. But our pride gets in the way. Oh, did you see what my son did there? You know? Yeah, he's probably way better than you were in high school, you know? But, But that's what it's all about, right? We elevate ourselves based on the performance of our children. When our kids are just saying, you know, I just want you to say I love you. I would love to hear that you're proud of me whether I, whether I make a basket or I airball. I, I, you know? I was that kid. And I had a dad who was just there. And he loved me through it all. It mattered to me. Jesus says, let them come. Don't hinder them. So he says, let them come to me. Don't hinder them. They're precious. They're valuable. They're worth it. I care about them. The heart of Jesus in these passages, when he talks about, as we talked about divorce last week, what he was doing, he was elevating women. I see you. I love you. You're more than property. Same thing now with kids. You know what it does to a child that he's held by the Savior of the world when he's little? His parents grow up and like, Jesus held you. He blessed you. He kissed you. He loved you. They're going to follow him forever. He gave them value. They're more than property, more than prestige. Our children are not prestige. They're a gift of God. We see them for who they are. God says, they're mine. And I'm giving them to you to do something great with. So Jesus says, don't hinder them. He's yelling at the disciples, look, don't have that attitude. Don't don't fight them away. Let the kids come. I want to be with them. I want to sit with them. I want to hold them. I want to bless them. They need to know that God loves them. Hinder means don't make it hard for them to come to me or don't cause something not to happen. In other words, don't do anything. Never, never be the reason why your child hates God. Never be the reason why your child turns his back on Jesus. Never be the reason why your child walks away from the faith. Because they hear you say one thing, but they don't see it lived out in another. Or because you use this as a weapon for your children rather than an instruction tool as it is where you let this speak and change their hearts. Never be the reason why children can't find Christ. The most important role that we have for this next generation is to teach them about Jesus and show them how to live. It's to disciple them. Our number one priority is parents. Yes. Show them, expose them to their sinfulness when when they do mess up, when there is that sin in their life. And then then show them their need then through that for a Savior. That's how you best love a child. Rather than just say, ah, you, you disobeyed, you blew it. Go stand in the corner, you know, or no supper for you, or whatever our punishments are. Show them their sinfulness and the need for a Savior, that every one of us is is a sinner and we are in need of rescue. You're trying to help your child. Show them the truth, rather than just discipline. Show them what it means to follow Jesus. Show them what it means to serve others. It is a proven fact. Nothing changes the spiritual life of a child like serving someone else. So get them involved in that. Show them what it means to die to self. What does it mean to sacrifice? What does it mean to give up some things so that others can experience the joy of life? Teach your kids how to fail by how you respond to failures. Let them know you blew it. Say you're sorry to your children. Ask for forgiveness and seek grace. Show it to them as well. Show them how living in a community of believers is vital. Vital to their spiritual lives. Teach them that they have a place in the church. That it's not about someday, but it's about today. If you got here early this morning, there were kids at some of the doors that we're greeting. And it wasn't because we're preaching on this today, it's because their parents signed them up that they can greet too. They do a fantastic job. Never be the reason why your child rejects the faith. How you speak to them as a father, as a mother, how you model Christ to them will determine the outcome of their adult faith. Ephesians 6.4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way that you treat them, but bring them up in the instruction of the Lord. It's a great verse that we just take inventory. You might not want to do this, but dads, have that conversation with your kids today. Do I provoke you to anger? Which in other words, God's saying in his word is it's driving kids away from me. Colossians 3.21 says, Don't embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Kids, let me just say this. Don't go home and throw this back at your at your parents. We're all trying to do our best, right? Your parents love you a ton. Sometimes it's like, oh, that verse says you're not supposed to make me angry, but you make me so angry. Talk about the why. Have that conversation. But know that your parents are trying their best to live like Jesus. So, so try to follow Jesus by following mom and dad. Encourage them. Don't make it hard on their lives either. It's not simple. It's not easy. You guys are growing up in, the, the I think, the worst time in history. The stuff that you have to deal with, the, the stuff that you have to battle with, and, and that the temptations are never before. I love this row, by the way. Every Sunday they're, they're down here. Students, we believe in you. We pray for you. We will fight for you. Because God loves you and, and so do we. So as families, can you work together to raise disciples of Jesus? But man, we, we have, we've, as parents, we got to follow Jesus so closely. Because our kids are watching. And it will determine who they become. I'll just say this, I know you know this, but moms, it's the world we're living in. Moms, your kids don't need you to be their best friend. They need you to point them to the closest relationship in the world they can have, and that's Jesus. Point them to Jesus. Fight for them. Dads, I know that we love to be it. But strive to not be your son's hero. Show him Jesus. The greatest hero that he could emulate ever in his life. That's what my dad did for me. But I'll tell you, my dad's my hero. For all that he's done and who he is. To such belongs the kingdom of heaven. Children. One of the beautiful things that we read about early on in the book of Deuteronomy and in uh, Moses interaction with Israel is he says, look, you're going out and you're going to be uh, living in this world where a lot of people have a lot of different gods. and They're going to tell you to do a lot of different things and you're going to be pulled in a lot of different directions. And he says, "This, this prayer is called the Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord, your God, the Lord is one and and it's it 's been taken at the Jewish culture, they repeat it every morning when they wake up and before they go to bed at night to be reminded that I, I know there's a lot of stuff out there that I could follow, but there is one God, the only one that 's going to take care of me, the only one that's going to protect me, and so they repeat it, but then Moses says, "Teach us to your children, talk about it when you walk along the road, uh, talk about it when you sit down, talk about it when you tuck them in at night, talk about the, about it wherever you are and The greatest thing that we can take from this is to understand that Moses was talking to the nation, all of God's people, to say all of the children in this nation are your responsibility. You don't just leave it up to their mom and dad. If a child falls, it's all of our responsibility. When a child succeeds, it's because we all came alongside that family and we helped them. Moses says, I don't care where you are. You speak into the life of a child. You love every one of them. That's the beauty then of being a part of the community of believers. It's the beauty of of what happens here at Century. I I will tell you, I say this so often. We have the best next-gen team at this church that I wouldn't trade them for anything. They love kids and they love Jesus. Jesus. And we fight hard to let people know there is not a moment of what we do in the preschool, in the nursery, middle school, or high school that is child care. People will call, is there going to be child care? Nope. We don't provide child care. We do discipleship. Whether you're holding a child, uh, Rachel will will teach people uh, how to sing over a child, how to speak truth, how to pray over them as they're being held, how to teach lessons as they're just playing. Melanie, fantastic job with what she does in teaching kids to know that God loves them, that he's got a plan for them, and that the Bible matters. They move into elementary where they're digging into deep stuff about the gospel and knowing and and believing that the, the Bible is true and real. They get into middle school and April's talking about your identity, which is the hardest time in a teenager's life and saying your identity is found in Christ and in Christ alone and you can believe it. We get into high school and Jason cares so much about helping kids defend their faith and knowing what it is that they believe and why. I say all of that to say, one, we support our team. I love them a ton. They also have a ton of leaders. But I will also say this, that, that we have so many kids that are coming because of what God is doing that we need more. We need the body of Christ. If you want to learn how to love a child, you could learn from the best. So today, maybe you don't have to be gifted or, uh, or even understand no kids like Melanie says, it's about are you willing to give your time so that you can love children well so that they can know who Jesus is. That's how you love a child, is you love them with the love of Christ. Be a part of it. Join their teams, whatever your age. You might say, ah, oh, I did that. You know, I'm, I'm, kids are out of the house and whatever. Oh, good, perfect time. Start all over again. Start off with somebody else's child and speak into them and love on them. There's single moms in our church that could really use some men to come and speak into her kids' lives. Find out who they are. Grow into this community. Loving kids means not hindering them from getting to Jesus. Not having enough leaders, not having enough small group leaders, not having enough uh, men and women teaching kids in preschool is hindering kids from knowing the gospel. Man, we should... We should have volunteers banging on the doors. Whatever your age, just do it. Don't be so proud that you can't serve kids. Jesus set the best example. Let them come. I'll pray over them. I'll hold them. I'll love on them. Finally, Jesus doesn't just say love a child. He says you got to love being like a child. That, that's because the kingdom of heaven Belongs to such as these. Remember, when we talk about the kingdom of heaven. It's not just about, you know, the golden city someday. It's about today. Right. Jesus said I, uh, the kingdom of heaven is here. He brought it and he says this. This is now my expectation for the people that follow me is we're going to change this world. And the way that you change is you just live according to this in the world that we live in and things will begin to change. And even if you don't feel like the culture's changing or, or anything like that, your heart's going to change and you're basically, Jesus saying, you're going to know what life abundant really is. You get a taste of eternal glory here on this earth by just following Jesus. And Jesus says, but the way that you achieve that and the way that you then long for that someday is is that you have the heart of a child here today and he's talking about humility that you that you accept your place that you're not god that you're not more powerful and you don't get to tell him what to do but that you are what dependent upon him i can't do anything without you jesus I need you. That's where salvation begins, when we recognize and realize that we're dependent on Him, that we cannot save ourselves, that our relationship with God has been severed because of our sin, and we recognize that, and we're, we're, we're easy. It's, it's simple then to say, forgive me, I'm sorry. Nobody says I'm sorry more than children, Right? God rains down his grace because of what Christ did on the cross and he says you're mine and I love you. The kingdom of heaven belongs to you. You're a child of the king. But I thought also just a number of qualities of children that we could probably we could probably go back to as adults and grow into, right? Yes, dependence on him. Are you fully dependent on the father? Do you get to do you just get to live life? Do you to enjoy life going, look, I don't know. All I know is that, is that I'm going to be, the Father's going to take care of me. right? My, my kids never came out of the room and go, boy, I, I got to get to work. I got to go make some money so I can eat breakfast this morning. No. You, you're fully dependent upon, upon the, the parents. They didn't even think about it. They just came out. They just walk out in the kitchen. They just eat whatever they want. Not, not I mean, we're, we weren't horrible parents in that sense, but, but but they didn't. They were, they just believed that that we were always going to have it there for them. They're in college now and believe the same thing. <laughs> children, children never had to fear because they know that they're always protected. And in those moments where they did do feel scared, where do they run? They run behind us. They get behind us. Do you do that with the father? Children are amazing at asking endless questions over and over. In our, in our car, the word why was spoken a lot. Not because I went there to work out. It was because <laughs> it was because they just were, they were inquisitive. Having faith like a child also means that you never stop asking, God, show me. God, what is it that you want from me? God, what is it that, that you desire? What does this mean? Help me understand it even more. And we keep looking for instruction and direction because we're just endlessly curious. Children pray what's on their minds. They don't think they have to use big words. They just say what needs to be said. One of the greatest kind of memes I ever saw was, Every family has secrets until the Sunday school teacher asks for prayer requests. Because hmm? kids just say it. We pray for everything. Hmm? Children are just as amazed by the ordinary as they are the extraordinary. That's. I want to have faith like a child. That I watch God work every day and I never just go, yeah, that, just, it just becomes the norm for me. I want to be blown away by God in even the, the smallest of things. As an adult, you know, ladybugs, big deal. Annoyance. Man, my kids love ladybugs. Just walking on a piece of grass, walking on their hands, right? They're small children. They're just amazed by by the ordinary. To them, it's extraordinary. Here's what happened. John ten ten says that the thief comes. That's the enemy. That's Satan. He comes t- to steal and kill and destroy. A. W. Tozer says that what he, what he does I- in all of that is that, that he has taken Christians who've been promised that John ten ten Jesus said, but I've come. You have life abundant. And A. W. Tozer said, we've allowed the enemy to come and, and the one of the most uh, horrific. Uh, I guess, uh, examples of the way that, that the enemy has stolen is that he's just made the life of Christians dull. Okay, that, that dullness has crept into the church. He says, culture is putting out the light in men's and women's souls. We have a critical issue today in the church. Dullness. When I worked for Young Life, when I was in college, uh, I was asked, hey, you're going you're gonna to teach, and you're going to uh, teach the kids, but know this. It's a sin to bore kids with the Bible. Right? It, 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 it hinders them. Why, why do I need this? Why do I want this? We, we, we get kids to get pumped up, right, when they're in Sunday school. We teach them about a little shepherd boy who had a, nothing but a slingshot. And he goes to bring some cheese to his brothers. And he sees this huge army and a massive giant. And he said, And you know what that little boy did? He prayed to God and he walked out in that valley and he slung a stone and he killed that giant. Because that's what God wants to do with you. And then we teach him about this, this kid, Daniel, that gets kidnapped, taken out of his home, and he's put in a different nation, and Daniel says, I'm gonna, still going to follow God. And so he's, I'm not going to eat that. He gets thrown in the lion's den, and God shuts the lion's mouths because David is praying. And then we tell kids, and you can have that kind of faith. We, we teach kids about a little boy who's on the side of a mountain who's got a small a little, tiny little sack lunch, and, and says, but Jesus just wants what little you have, and you watch how many people he's going to impact with what you have as a small child. We teach them about this ragamuffin group of, of, of outcasts that are following after Jesus, many of them teenagers, and how the religious leaders are furious because the things that they are doing are turning the world upside down. And we say, "And you can do that, God wants to do that." And then they step out of their Sunday school classroom and and they start to dream and they think about these incredible things, these big things I'm gonna change the world and and oftentimes they hear shh sit down, be be seen and and not heard and we stifle what it is that God wants to do through young people because we start talking to them about common sense and you know and 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 being a good steward of the things that God and laying out all of your Yeah, we know that you got to be wise. But I also read about a a Savior who sets an example that that just goes out and and just says, I'm going to do whatever it takes to reach lost people. And as a person who was in youth ministry for so many years, nobody, nobody believes in what they're told to go and do and believes that they can change the world like a teenager. I love them, and they do great things, and we need to join with them as well. But one of the worst things that we can teach our kids, where dullness creeps in, is for them to think that, that following Jesus is not the greatest adventure in the world. We've lost our astonishment with God. The good news has just become okay news. Not good enough to go out and tell others about every day not good enough to show joy in our life because we've let the world impact us more than Christ. We believe that Jesus' is life-enhancing, but life-changing, we've become dull. Let me just end with this. I love C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis talks about this kingdom of heaven that Jesus is talking about, and he paints it in this picture of Lion Witch in the wardrobe of uh, of, uh, Aslan the lion as the one we just sang about. He came out of the grave a roaring lion. And as he comes back to life after being killed, uh, here's Lucy and her uh, siblings and, they, and friends, and they're going to, they want to, they can't believe it. They, is this Aslan? Is he really come back to life? Here's what Lewis writes. The kids see him and they're astonished by him, and, and Aslan looks at them and he catches Lucy's eye and he says to her, catch me if you can. He stood, bright eyes, limbs quivering, lashing himself with his tail. Then he leapt over their heads and he landed on the other side of the table. Lucy scrambled over to reach him and a mad chase began. Round and round the hilltop, Aslan led the children, diving between them, tossing them in the air with huge beautiful paws and catching them again. It was such a romp as no one has ever experienced except in Narnia. And whether it was more like playing in a thunderstorm or playing with a kitten, Lucy couldn't make up her mind. But the most amazing thing was what the, when they all lay down together, panting in the sun, the kids no longer felt in the least bit tired or hungry or thirsty. That's a life with Jesus. That's a life of adventure. That's a life of astonishment. That's a life of seeing Him for who He is. The risen Savior who died to give us abundant life. And Jesus says, and if you receive it, if you accept it, you'll have it forever. beauty of this passage is probably don't recognize it or see it ourselves unless we look at it in its entirety. But in all that we've talked about in relationships the last number of weeks, all that Jesus has taught us in chapters 18 and 19, they begin and end with the same words. Unless you become like a little child, you cannot receive the kingdom of heaven. So it begins, he sets the stage, unless you become like a child, you can't receive the kingdom of heaven. And then he goes on to talk about your humility first of all your relationship with god and then he goes on to talk about but you are also your relationship with with the people around you like a child if somebody wrongs you you just forgive cuz that's what kids do right it, you don't ever find i've never met a child who who's like comes and meets with me at 7 years old like i ah, i got man i got this grudge right you just you show grace and you your best friends you're not best friends and you're best friends again and then he goes on to talk about relationship with your spouse right that you don't want to to break that up that you do whatever you can to serve others and just like a child it just says what do you need they don't they don't pay attention to what is of value They're like look if, the, if you need it if you want it it's yours you hold fast to relationships And you accept the role that God has given you. And and Jesus talks about going out and finding the one that is lost. Nobody looks harder for something lost than a child. Tear their room apart. And then when somebody wrongs you, you just extend grace and forgiveness. Lay down your pride. Acknowledge Him. You live life abundant. A child seeks no glory. A child does not need to protect an image. Live life abundant. Follow Jesus like a child. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for your word today. I pray that you would let it go with us, that it would just continue to kind of steep in our hearts and in our minds, that we would just pay attention, first of all, God, to uh, those that you have put on this earth that are younger than us, that we can speak into, that we can let them and remind them that they're loved. And then, Father, that we we would remember that you call us to be like children in coming to you. That we need you, God. We need you. Amen.